Welcome to the Inspiring Tech Leaders podcast with me, Dave Roberts. This week, my special guest is Andrew Quayle, Director of Information Technology at SGN. Andrew is an experienced director, executive, and non-executive director who has previously held roles with Exaserve, Capgemini, Tartar Consulting Services, and TUI. He is a well-established and accomplished CIO who has previously been voted number one CIO in the CIO 100, which recognizes the most transformative and disruptive CIOs in the UK. Andrew has driven to establish new ways of working and led the successful delivery of lean and agile methodologies that have transformed organizations and the value that technology is able to provide. What a pleasure it is to be talking with you today, Andrew. It's great to be here. It's great to talk to you, Dave. So what I'd really love to know is how did you start your career in technology and was it the path that you really expected to take? Well, it was a very natural progression from my early ambition to be a sculptor and uh, a fine artist. Uh, that was what I wanted to do when I grew up, but uh, fairly quickly realised I wasn't very good at it, which is a bit of a flaw in that plan. Um, no, so it's absolutely not what I wanted to do when I was a young lad. In fact, there was very little computing science education at all. Certainly wasn't any, in fact, when I was at high school, or very, very little. But I sort of started my first sort of proper job was as business improvement, business analysis type work. So I was always sort of touched. Typically, that sort of activity was around system changes or system improvements. So, and then I moved on to project delivery. I worked in the travel industry. I worked in consulting and then finally in SGN where I really began to specialise in implementing technology change. So I've always been sort of on the boundary of, of IT and wider business, a kind of translator, communicator, if you like, middleware layer. But I've been sort of building on my sort of interpersonal communication skills, which is probably some of my sort of key and core skills. So I've always been a sort of facilitator for technology-led change, basically driving and getting complex stuff done. But uh, no, that, that definitely wasn't what I wanted to do when I grew up. I'm, I'm still trying to work that out, Dave, if I tell you <laughs> So we've probably both been working in IT for a similar amount of time, you know, 20 years plus. We've seen a lot of change during that time. How do you think that the role of a technology leader has changed and how do you envisage that change going forward over the next few years? Yeah, it's a big, a big question. I guess a couple of answers. I think... What I see now is everyone's an IT leader. I remember an advert a long time ago. It was everyone's a bank manager when they sort of introduced internet banking. And I think everyone's an IT leader now, sort of embracing and enabling citizen development and that's, you know, sort of adoption of low-code SaaS offerings is, is a real challenge, whilst maintaining kind of good governance, good oversight, good sort of, uh, you know, keep, keeping the basics in place around things like security and resilience and cost control. So I think that's a big change. That's sort of being able to support people's ability to experiment easily, but transition that to scale. So, so I see I see that's a, a real big difference. That uh, shadow IT and grey IT is is very prevalent, and and that's that's a great opportunity to embrace as well. I think certainly for me, it's not so much being a technology leader, much more about a business leader who focuses on IT. I mean, that, in my career, that's been the biggest change. Okay, I've, I've gone from being the guy who runs IT to really somebody who sits at the executive table, makes decisions on running the business, and has the responsibility for IT, almost as a secondary point, if that makes sense. Yeah, I absolutely. think that sort of change in focus 
to being business leaders is just something that will continue to grow. And as I say, I, that, that's what I've experienced. Certainly my tenure, I can almost divide it in half to say when I was the guy that ran IT versus when I was the sort of executive business leader. I think getting into perhaps more specifics, Dave, I, I, I see the ability to exploit data. I mean, arguably, the role's always been about that, chief information officer closing the title. But I see much more emphasis on that and, and that continuing. Again, I, I see that from a personal perspective. Huge, huge focus on the exploitation of data, both, both internally and externally outside the business in terms of new, new opportunities, new business models, etc. And clearly, cybersecurity is just, in terms of the focus on that, it's, it's exponential. It's top of most, if not all, boards' minds. It's certainly one of our top corporate risks. And I would say, uh, as a, both a, not just a technology leader, a business leader, you need to have a much deeper understanding of the ability to manage cyber risk. So those are probably the key differences I see. I think there's a specific thing around in the energy sector, around digitalization. And that's really about having to look at completely different business models, uh, let alone solutions to facilitate the decarbonisation of Britain's energy system. So that's a, that's a particular thing for, for us right now. So I think the need to think about how technology might disrupt your organisation is, is very, very important in the role. And if, if you don't think like that, you need to ensure there are people in your organisation who do think like that. I know from speaking to you previously, you've managed significant digital transformations. How do you manage to do that while also simultaneously supporting the, those business-as-usual activities? Well, as, as I mentioned earlier, Dave, I think you've got to ensure there's a specialism within the organisation. You know, you shouldn't be relying on yourself to do that. I, I've got a head of in, innovation. That's his job. I've got a head of architecture and analytics who has a very big focus on future tech and driving technology-driven disruption. I think in order to do that, again, I work in a very safety-critical organisation, quite a risk-averse, so you need to create safe space for innovation and experimentation, which a lot of digital, digital change requires. I would certainly encourage all technology and business leaders to question the organisation structure. I mean, we undertook SGN a three- to four-year IT transformation. I deliberately created two very distinct organisations working to completely different locations in different ways, very different vibe if you went to those areas. That was always a temporary state, but it was to facilitate quite a deep and fundamental technology change. Um, now, that may not be right for all. Personally, I would say one of the lessons I learned is I brought those two organisations back together far too late in the process. But I would certainly consider organizational structures and potentially even if as I say it's only temporary looking at sort of bimodal model but I do I do see these as quite different skill sets we talk about digital transformation and business as usual so your question is perhaps a little flawed if I may say David it's a bit like saying how do you defend how do you defend an attack at the same time well you have defenders and you have attackers Absolutely, that's how you yeah, do that yeah. uh, so you, you need to look at the skill sets of your team and make sure you've got you've got those areas covered I think that's absolutely right and often people will try to say well how do we how do we create innovation and you know, one of the things i've always talked about is making room for innovation and actually allowing people that creativity to, to look at those things but on the flip side of it you also need to create room for people to be able to operate 
those business as usual type activities to keep the operations running as well. So I think, I think you're absolutely right in your, in your response. You also mentioned cybersecurity earlier as well. And that's obviously become more important than, than ever and really becoming much more a regular boardroom agenda item now. So what are, what are the types of cyber challenges that you see within the gas industry? Well, we are part of the UK's critical national infrastructure. So we are, frankly, under nation-state attack quite often. I'm sorry to say that's just a fact, and that's true of most of our distribution transmission networks. They vary in scale and depends on what's going on, but, but we have evidence that these things are going on. We in SGN are bound by the NIST directive, that's a network information security directive, if, for, if those are not aware of it, which basically is a law that means if you are breached through cybersecurity and it affects customers, in, in our case, affects gas supply, there are very, very big fines to pay. So rightly so, there's an extreme, extremely focused uh, attention on that by our regulator. But the, the counter to that is there's a huge push across our entire industry to really put a step change in place ac- across cybersecurity capability. And that that is that is a process that, that's ongoing. Obviously, everyone is aware in the rise of ransomware. So I think, you know, we've built and run our estate primarily with an eye on technology failure and resilience around technology failure rather than complete loss and inability to recover through a ransomware type attack. So that's a big focus for us right now, Dave, in terms of, of changing our ability to recover from a major ransomware obviously trying to protect in the first place as well. And then I'd say lastly, the other big challenge is skills, skills and wages, actually. I'm definitely putting anything to do with cybersecurity on my CV when I look at the sorts of uh, salaries that are in demand at the moment. It is a huge area of demand across the across, well, across all businesses. So finding cyber skills and retaining them is really, really tough. I've got five children, and I'm certainly advising my sons to get cybersecurity skills because it will do them no harm whatsoever. Absolutely. Now, I think that is uh, something we're all seeing, we're all struggling with as well. So there's there's always been the that battle for for good tech talent, but I think it's it's yeah. it ramped up a lot more within probably only the last couple of years. And certainly on the security side, I, I absolutely agree with what you're seeing there. I think we're seeing is the same. When it comes to sustainability challenges within the organization that you work for, how is technology helping support those initiatives? It's a really interesting question, Dave. I mean, sustainability is one of these words that means different things, different organizations. So let, let me just say what it means for us. Sustainability for us is driving the net zero target set by government. That means decarbonization of the UK's energy system in our context and specifically decarbonization of heat as a distributor of natural gas that that's an issue for us we've got to look at completely different products going through our pipes and just so you're aware in our business context that really is mainly focused around hydrogen gas which can be produced through wind turbines and electrolysis so really the premise being that we can repurpose the UK's existing infrastructure or certainly a large portion of it to enable customers to use predominantly the same appliances to heat their homes and cook their food through the gas network. Now, 
what role does technology play? Well, if you think for a second, if you're now in an environment where you have electric vehicles calling on the electricity grid, and you've got some houses using electricity to heat their home, you've got some houses generating electricity, some using hydrogen heat, you've got hydrogen fleet and hydrogen vehicles as well, because heavy industry typically, except in terms of buses and transport, looking at hydrogen as an energy source. So what you see is the need to manage the energy system in a completely different way, and it can't be siloed as it is today. And at the heart of that is digitalizing that energy system. So understanding the data around demand, around forecasting, around network management becomes significantly more complex. So there is an enormous focus on digitalizing the UK's energy system. It's really, really interesting. It's also really, really challenging. Nobody has the answers, but we are all aware of the problem and we all are committed to resolving this. It's posing some sort of real interesting scenarios personally because it means as an organisation we need to work with stakeholders, external bodies that we've never had to work with before. We have to collaborate with deemed competitors and as I say adjacent industries that not ordinarily we wouldn't, we wouldn't talk to or we would talk to very seldomly. Uh, and we have a huge reliance on vendors and innovators to bring new solutions to bear. So it's a really dynamic and it's a really interesting environment. It's one, again, I'm personally quite excited about because I can't really think of anything more important that I could do in my role than to be part of the UK's decarbonisation solution. But uh, make no mistake about it, it's, uh, it's a very challenging area. I'm going to require a lot of... Uh, policy changes, regulation changes, organisation changes, as I say, at the heart of that will be technology driving it. I know you've also mentioned to me about the H100 project. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you're getting involved with that? Yeah, it's a really, really important project, really interesting as well. So for the first time in the UK, arguably first time globally, our intention is to demonstrate hydrogen from the point of production, from the wind turbine through to the electrolysis stage, storage into the network, distributed to the customer's house through to the end appliance. So we'll have a little hydrogen village, you know, a street up in Fife where we'll demonstrate this to anyone who wishes to see it. But it, as I say, becomes a really important project to demonstrate that hydrogen solutions can be brought to bear in decarbonising the UK's energy system, and in particular, our heat. What a fantastic project. That sounds really great. So when you're communicating to the board, what are those key factors that you need to demonstrate the value of technology to them? I think that as a CIO, as as an IT leader, it's incumbent upon oneself to inspire and motivate board members. So I think what is important is to certainly let the board see the art of the possible. So away days to tech innovators. We have brought our board into Amazon, to Microsoft. You know, it doesn't have to be those guys, maybe Google or whomever. I will never, ever forget seeing one of my executive members moving a remote control car with his mind at IBM's Innovation Lab in Hursley. Quite astonishing. And, uh, you know, that might not necessarily be directly transferable to a gas network, but it really begins to enable 
you know, board members to understand the art of the possible and the disruptive and positive impact that technology can bring to bear. So I think that's the first thing I would say is inspire and motivate boards with technology. I think the other thing I'd say is when presenting cases and seeking buy-in or, or potential investment, I rarely mention technology, actually. When I presented the case for our, it was a huge cloud transformation, so we've moved everything from on-prem to, to cloud. When I was presenting that case to the board, I didn't. I, I did mention clouds, but very, very briefly and very rarely. That business case was all about increased resilience, availability, security, and reduced totex spend. And as a board member, how can you not buy into that? You know, who's going to who's going to argue with that? So I think always when communicating with the board, we always need to talk in business terms, business language, and not be just talking technology for the sake of technology. That, that's a, a key thing. And I've learned that from being on the other side as a non-executive board member myself. You, you mentioned you've been a non-exec director before, so you did that for a number of years. So what were the takeaways from that experience, and would you do it again? It was a great experience, Dave, and I would thoroughly recommend it to anyone who wants to continue in a leadership role. Uh, it was one of the best development and training experience of my professional life, actually, I would say so boldly. I think it gave me really good insight as to what boards of directors are faced with every day. The fact that you're perhaps attending an organisation you know, half a day or one day every three months you know, you're not going to be up to speed on jargon, on names, on system names, project names, you will forget, and speaking simply, clearly, and as having a much wider perspective on what, what it takes to keep a business healthy was what it did for me. I think developing that critical friend persona, you know, not being the expert in the room, because I certainly wasn't, but I was able to ask inquiring and hopefully insightful questions in a constructive manner. And I think, as I say, that's a key attribute in, in leadership, I would suggest. You know, and would I do it again? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm currently looking at even doing it pro bono because I, I think it's very rewarding. I think I've got something to offer organizations as well. And I think you, you get a lot in return for those sorts of roles, as I say, at a personal fulfillment perspective. So I would definitely recommend it. And, and I personally have a great experience as a non-executive. So you've achieved a lot during your career. How did you feel in 2019 when you were ranked number one in the UK CIO 100? Well, honestly, I thought it was a mistake. That, that is the absolute <laughs> truth. Um, I do suffer a little bit from imposter syndrome. I'll, 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 be, I'll be upfront and honest about that. I did think there was some sort of error in judgment being, being at play there. But um, I was of the joke, joking aside, I, I was extremely proud slightly embarrassed I think sort of as it sunk in because I, you know as I, as I sort of thought about it everything that I have achieved in my personal role has ultimately been down to my team and their work so I think I was I went through a kind of hype cycle curve thing of sort of um, very very proud and then slightly embarrassed and then I think when my team recognized also it was part it was a it was acknowledgement of everything they've achieved too you know, I think that made me feel a lot happier as well. So, you know, very, very proud. I think it's it's an indictment of the work that my team have supported me in achieving. 
and the sort of vision and strategy that we have jointly put in place at SGN. So yeah, hugely proud and hugely pleased. And what was the, the best bit of advice that you received during your career? And what advice would you give to others who are perhaps just starting out on that journey now? There's, there's a few sort of little phrases that spring to mind that were said to me at key times that just really resonated. It was all, it's all about context, right? But I'll never forget when I was a relatively junior, well, I was just starting as project management, I think, and one of my colleagues just said to me, look up, not down. And it was just one of those phrases that really stuck with me. And what he was basically saying, you're capable of a lot more, you know, don't, don't get bogged down, don't get into petty fight, look up, look at big picture, and, you know, don't get bogged down and things. So that piece of advice, it sounds a bit trite, but it, it really stuck with me. I think something my boss has said to me when I was relatively junior or, or you know, just starting out in the IT director role was your opinion, your opinion counts. So again, feeling perhaps not having a voice at the table and, and overcoming that, uh, as I say, and, and it goes back to my point, Dave, about becoming moving from a technology leader to a business leader. So I have a say in diversity at this company. I have a say in inclusion. I have a say in broader business strategy and make, make that opinion count. And, but as my mother always told me, if you don't have something good to say, don't say it, right? So make it constructive. I think finally, my advice to anyone in an IT leadership and a technology leadership role is be bold and be ambitious because I think you, you've got to take advantage of the opportunity that you're in. I think particularly if you're in a sort of CIO, IT director role, I think it's a huge, huge opportunity to make a massive difference. And certainly there was a point in my career, you thought, you know, what, one of those, so what, do I, what do I want my gravestone? You know, what do I want to be remembered for? Those many things, but it's not just sort of ticking things over. So I think really making a difference and being fulfilled about it and seeing through the vision and strategy that you um, come up with, I think that would be my advice. Be, be bold and be ambitious. Great advice. So it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Andrew, and I'd just like to take the opportunity to thank you again for sharing those career insights and your experience. And it's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Inspiring Tech Leaders podcast. It's lovely talking to you, Dave, as well. Thank you. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned for more inspiring tech leaders.